I will do that in just a second. I would love to do that, and in fact, I was going to. So thank you very much. Um, interestingly enough, while I was praying, and I, I just want to share this, while I was praying this morning and preparing myself to preach, I really got an impression from, from God about how much he loves you guys. Like you, he just loves you so much, and, and he loves this church and what you're doing. And I, I just want to honor you guys who, who are so faithful, and he is so faithful to you. And uh, so... I do want to pray for Mrs. Smythe as well, but I want to pray for all of you that, that you will know that truth and it gets settled in your hearts as well. So let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you because you are God Almighty. And I want to thank you because you sent Jesus, your son, into this world to lay down his life for us because you love us so much. And Father, on the cross, he bore the punishments that was reserved for us that we would be set free and be cleansed and pure and be made whole and healthy. And Father, we just claim that for Mrs. Smythe right now. Father, we just ask that sickness be gone in the name of Jesus Christ, that there be no more cancer in her body, that, that sickness and disease must flee because she is your daughter, paid for at the cross and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I just ask this morning that each person here will understand the favour and the worth the value that they have in your sight, that they will leave knowing that you love them and you love this church. Father, I just, I just pray that the words that I speak this morning will be words that bless and uplift. And Father, that no words will be lodged in their hearts that are not from you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. What, How amazing it is to be here and... And I do feel so honoured and it's such a privilege to actually be here and to have the opportunity to preach. And, and I'm very humbled by the, the opportunity that you give me on a regular basis. So I do want to thank you for that. Um, and, and again, I was just as I was, I was praying this impression of how much God loves you all. And I hope that, that this morning as, as we look at this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, uh, and, and we're doing journeying through Ephesians, that that will shine through. Uh, I actually wasn't going to do another series, but I think it was when I got a phone call the morning of Sunday morning and was asked if I could preach that day. Uh, I decided that I would do something from Ephesians, and and from them, and I've kind of just done a little bit more of Ephesians and a little bit more, and it's turning out to be a little bit of a series. And so this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, uh, through to about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, if we get that far. I actually have in my notes, because if we start at Ephesians chapter 20, the context isn't there, so I really have to go back to Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, to get the context, which is what I preached last time, which was Ephesians 7 to 1, 17 to 20. And I've actually got written in my notes, recap on Ephesians 1, 17 to 20, try not to get stuck there. <laughs> it is such an amazing passage of scripture that in every likelihood, and I'm going to try and be disciplined, that I may not again get past verse 20. And so, which is going to be a real concern, because if I don't get past verse 20 today, the next time I come and preach, I'm going to have to recap the same verses and I may get stuck there again, which actually isn't necessarily a bad thing, because the Word of God tells us to read it, read the Word, to become the Word, not just to know about Him, but to know Him. 
And how amazing is it? And, and every time I read that passage in my quiet time to, to move on, I get stuck there because I feel like God is wanting to embed this in me. But I am going to try and be disciplined. I am going to try and recap quickly. And then I'm going to try and move on. Uh, but I'm not going to promise anything in that regard. So if we read it, so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, it says, and this is Paul writing this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That is an amazing passage of scripture. To understand that the Father so wants us to know him. His desire is that we know him more. That he actually gives us the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can actually know him more. He, the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world to be the visible image of the invisible God, to be the express will of the Father. And then when we enter into Jesus Christ by faith, by his redeeming blood, we become new creation. He gives us the Holy Spirit that through Jesus Christ, we can know the Father. Like it's his desire that me, that I, who am no one or nothing, and yet as Xander said, I'm the most valuable creation that he made. And it's his desire that I may enter into a relationship with him and know him more. Like that, that is a profound concept. God, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, does not want me to know about him. He wants me to know him. He wants me to know him because as I come into relationship with the Father, as I know him more, and as I, the more that I know him, the more he reflects back to me how he sees me, which fundamentally transforms the person that I am. As I look into his glorious face and as I examine him and know him and know his character and know his heart and know his will and as I press into him to know him more, it changes me because I know who he created me to be. You see, the Father, before the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world, the Father knew you and he chose you. So precious are you to him that he chose you before the foundations of the world. In fact, the foundations, I firmly believe that the foundations of the world were made for you to live because he wanted you to become a part of his family. And the more that you know the father and, and I'm, I firmly believe that I don't know the father as I should. And every day I want to know the father more. And I hope that's the cry of your heart. And that's the cry of the heart of Paul here. Know the Father. He's given you the Holy Spirit that you can know the Father more because he is amazing and he loves you. And he sent Jesus Christ who, to die on the cross, not for your sins. He sent him to die on the cross that you could become his sons and daughters. But to, in order to achieve that, your sins needed to be cleansed and washed away. But he sent Jesus Christ because you are so valuable and so worthy to him. Because he loves you and he wants you to be his son and his daughter and to know him. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Can you see why I get stuck on that 
concept that he wants me, that the creator of the universe, the one who formed and spoke things and shaped things, the, the, the God of all gave me his spirit that I may know him more. Scripture asks the question, who may know God? Who may know the will of the Father? And it says, no one except that he gave his spirit. You did not, we're not given the spirit of the world. You were given the spirit of God that you may know everything that he has freely given you. And he's given you the mind of Christ that you may know his thoughts and his ways, which are so far superior than the ways of the world. Like God has called us into him that we may know him more. I'm not doing very well with just not getting stuck here, am I? That the glorious Father gave you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I believe it's the cry of the Father's heart that we, his children, know him more. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and we become a new creation, and I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but when, when he died and we become new creations, the Father receives us as sons and daughters. For too long in the church, we believe that we become his servant. He actually refuses to receive us as his servant. He receives us as his son. We are his sons and his daughters, and when he receives us as his son, and we become, the more we know him, the more we become like him, the more that he fills us with his love, and the more that he fills us with his love, and the more that we understand that we're his son and we know him more, the more we can live in this world from a position of servanthood to the world. Does that make sense? So we need to, Philippians chapter 2. Our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who although being God in very nature, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became nothing. You see, what that's saying is Jesus Christ knew fundamentally who he was. He knew that he was God himself, and yet he put that one side to become nothing and enter into creation born of a man and humbled himself even more unto death, even death on a cross. And he entered as to become a servant, but he fundamentally knew who he was in the Father. In the same way, we need to know who we are in the Father. And that can only happen by knowing him more. And as we know him more, and as we know that we are the sons and daughters of the living God, then we exist in such a place with love flowing through us, his love, the love that we cannot even comprehend and cannot even imagine, flows through us and we can exist to serve and be servants and live with to give love. Does that make sense? We can so empty ourselves because we so know the Father and how he sees us. What my notes? I don't know. That the glorious Father gave the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You see, as, as we know the Father more, this passage of scripture will say, and this is my very long recap, I'm not doing very well really um, at moving through that quickly. The Father reveals three glorious things. And the first one is 
that the eyes of our heart will actually understand the hope, the glorious hope of our calling. That we may, it says here, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, which is fundamentally speaking about our identity. Our identity in Jesus Christ. The more we know the Father, the more we know who we are in Jesus Christ. It is the will of the Father. You see, Jesus Christ came on this earth, born of a man. Jesus Christ came and he knew that he was God, yet he put his nature of God to one side and he was born completely as a man. And he entered into this world and lived as a man. He was born without sin. You see, when Adam was born, a God breathed life into Adam. And Adam was born without sin. God refers, or the scripture refers to Jesus Christ as the second Adam. And so God came upon Virgin Mary, came upon Mary and, and breathed upon her. And she was impregnated that Jesus Christ would be born without the seed of man, without sin and corruption in him, that he would be born without sin. That's an amazing thing. That Jesus Christ, born fully man, because he's put his nature of God aside, fully God, but he's put it aside that he would enter into this world and live as a man, born as a man, completely man, but born without sin. And unlike Adam, he lived his life completely without considering himself. You see, Adam, when he fell, thought of himself and thought, yes, this seems right to me. This seems good to me. It's good for myself. And he put his self-nature above the nature of God and he fell. And ever since, we've been walking in the image of Adam. But Jesus Christ, the second Adam, born without sin, lived a life without self. Did not for one moment consider himself. And, he led, and that life led him to the cross, that you and I could be redeemed in him and that we would have life. You see, and the beautiful thing is the moment that we, that we believe in Jesus Christ and we're washed clean and pure by the blood of Jesus Christ, what do we become? New creations, reborn as men and women without sin. We become... This is going to sound controversial. We become like Jesus when he lived in this earth. In Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read this to you because this is not my sermon. It says that we've been made new in the attitude of our minds and put to put on the new self. This is Ephesians 4 verse 23 and 24. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When we were reborn, we were reborn into the image, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is our identity to live in this life as Christ Jesus lived without self. You see, when we were born again, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it is, it says that we were circumcised. We are of the circumcision, which actually means that God cut away the sin within our lives. He sliced it off that it exists in us no more because when we step into Jesus Christ, we've been washed clean and that nature, that sin nature which is in us has been circumcised and removed and we take off the old nature and it is dead to us and we live not for self, but we live for the Father to do His will. 
Because Jesus is the will of the Father and he did nothing other than what he saw the Father do. And the more that we know the Father, the more we do the will of the Father that we do not sin because we are no longer living in this world or we don't belong to this world, we live in it. Our nature is found when we are redeemed, when we are born again. Our nature, the fundamentals of who we are, is to live like Jesus Christ. To reflect the glory of the Father, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. To reflect the glory of the Father, uh, and as we are transformed with ever-increasing glory. In Romans chapter 12, it says that, that we are to be renewed and what, by the transformed by the renewing of our mind and what that's saying is that we have everything but it's our mind our soul what the bible calls our soul our mind our will our emotions that needs to be redeemed or saved so that we can understand all that we have in jesus christ in um where is philippians 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 Chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. And what that's talking is about is in Jesus Christ, we have obtained everything because our identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ and in Him. And, and it's saying, Now let us live and let us strive to become, to be renewed, to understand what we have in Jesus Christ, that we can become more like Him. And, and live up to that which Christ Jesus has earned for us. That's a th- uh, Philippians 3 verse 16, because I know people were looking for that. Our identity is found as we know the Father. Like it's an amazing thing. Once we are redeemed, the sin nature has been circumcised and cut off and is dead, and we become a new creation. Growing up, I heard a lot of times that when, we, when we're born again, Jesus died to wash away our sins, but, but we will always remain sinners. I don't know if you've heard that, that you will always remain sinners and we just are sinners and that's why Christ died and we have to come to church every week and have communion that, that we take it so that we can repent and he will wash us clean again. I actually don't find that in Scripture to be honest with you. I believed it for years, but I don't find it. The more that I read scripture, the less I see it. I don't see it. Jesus Christ redeemed us. He laid down his life that we would become fundamentally new creations. That the the sin aspect in our lives be gone, be dead, be done away with. That we become so new creations that that we no longer live in in this prison of sin as, as I've referred to before because that's not us anymore. In fact, he's fundamentally changed us and renewed us and our focus becomes on the Father. In Matthew chapter 6, it says that our eyes become so singular in their focus that we focus just on the Father, that the things of the world become so dim that we become the light and his light shine in the midst of us because we're so new. And actually, let's, let's turn to 1 John. 1 John says it beautifully. My notes have turned off, sorry. I'm clearly not following them at all at this point in time. I failed to, to, not, to move on quickly. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My dear children, I write this to you. And so what he's saying is, I'm, it, I'll read it more. I, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
So John has written something to us in advance that he's referring back to and I don't have time to go back and look at that. But he's saying, I write this so that you will not sin. I write the stuff that goes before this that you may know who you are so that you will not sin. Not because I know that you're going to sin. Not because you're a bunch of sinners who can't help themselves and you'll live in sin. But so that you may not sin. And you go, well, I haven't heard that and I don't experience that in my life. Psalm 138, it says, depending upon what translation you read, it says that God has elevated or has exalted his word above his name. Some other translations will say that he has exalted his word and his name above all things. Personally, I believe that the Hebrew refers that, that he has exalted his word above his name. And, and if we read back to, I'm all over the place here. If we read back in Ephesians, let's look at where his name is. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. It says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. Psalm 138 says that he's exalted his word above his name and he's placed his name over everything and put everything at his footstool and his word is over his name and you might go, well, my translation says something different and if your translation says that he exalts his word and his name above all else, well, that's still pretty high and I'm not going to argue that point. If, if his word is exalted as high with his name, that's pretty high. And yet we as Christians have lived for too long and we've said we've placed our experiences, our emotions, our thoughts, our traditions above the word of God. And yet the word says that his word has been exalted above all else. Why are we so filled with pride that we place our experiences, our thoughts, our emotions above the word of God? and our traditions of what other people say, rather than what the living word says. And the living word says in 1 John, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. We've been made new creations that we may not sin, and that can only happen as we look to the Father into his glorious eyes and know him and understand our identity of what he has done in us and through us and for us. That's amazing. And then John says, but if anybody does sin, but if, he does not say but when. It's important, the words in scripture. John does not say but when you sin. He says, but if. But if you stumble and fall, but if you fall back into the old ways, into the ways of the world, into the ways that you used to live before you are redeemed, if you fall back for a moment and you consider yourself above God and you take your eyes off God, if you do that, if, not when. That's an important distinction that we must comprehend and we must grasp and we must get. That if you sin, and then listen to It says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Hallelujah. How good is that? 
We've been born again, new creations to live without sin. But if we do stumble and fall, if we do sin, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he speaks on our defence. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, speaks in our defence to the Father because his blood has covered us and set us free. That's who we are. That's our identity. He's redeemed us for that. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. Jesus Christ is our atoning sacrifice and he speaks on our behalf if we happen to stumble and fall now that we've been redeemed and set free and made new as new creations for we are born again and created new and that is our identity in Jesus Christ. Can you see why I get stuck here on this in Ephesians? I've given up on the notes. Don't worry about that stuff. I hope this is alright. But that's our identity. That's who we are. And it is only found as we come face to face with the Father to know Him. And as we read His Word and the Spirit of life brings the Word of God to life in us and, and we become the living Word that it transforms us. You see, it's Jesus Christ... And this is so important and can be backed up scripturally in so many places. He wore a crown of thorns that we may have the mind of Christ. Jesus Christ, his heart was pierced and his blood shed that we could have a new heart, his heart, and it be filled with love. Jesus Christ laid down his life and he told his disciples, wait here because I'm going to send you the spirit of power who is the Holy Spirit who will fill you. And we have the spirit of Christ living within us. And I was listening and I love, I was listening to, to a sermon of Francis Chan who's an amazing preacher and he says the minute that we give our, Christ to, our life to Jesus Christ, he goes, our, our spirit and the spirit of Christ are intertwined. And that is why we can be called the body of Christ. Because Christ lives in me. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5 it says that, that I am one flesh with Christ. Why? Because this flesh here, this flesh here, your flesh is where Christ dwells. My spirit and Christ's spirit lives in this fleshly body. I am one flesh with him. Christ lives in me. that I may live in this world so set free, so set apart to do the will of the Father, to look like Jesus Christ, to, to, for the glory of the Father, because this is who I am in Him and it only comes through knowing the Father. I implore you, know Him. Get to know him. Spend time with him. Don't read scripture to know about him. Don't read scripture to learn scripture. Read the word of God that you may know the Father, that the Spirit of God will make it alive in you and fundamentally transform you, that you will know your identity and you will know that you are a new creation, set free, born again, born without sin, in the image of God, and with true righteousness and holiness, that we may live in this life, lives of purity and consistency. Not, not up one moment and then fall down because my emotions get onto me. The emotions that we live with, the emotions that we have, the emotions that we've been trained in. Because, you see, we have to understand that there is a battle going on in this world. 
there is a battle going on between two kingdoms. Right? In, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, see, I'm getting back there. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the way, uh, the way the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You see, we used to follow the ways of the kingdom of the air and he trained us in his ways. And he's spent years training us. It says, and we used to, when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time and gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. While we were still enemies, Jesus Christ sent his son. That's an amazing concept, but we're not going to go there. You see, there's the battle. There is two kingdoms at war. There is the kingdom of darkness, which is set up ever since Adam fell and they received the kingdoms, the keys to this world. They've been setting up their strongholds and, and their defences that they may stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. That this kingdom of darkness may stand against the kingdom of light, which is why there's such deception. And before we were born again, before we were redeemed and, and received the, the washing and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ and became new creation, he was training us in his ways and he gave us emotions that reflected his kingdom. And yet all too often, Christians live by those same emotions. Those emotions are not the emotions of the Father. The emotions of anger, of bitterness, of hatred, of laziness, of considering self. They were all born in Adam when he ate of the fruit and he sinned. Which is why Romans 12.1 is so fundamentally important that we are renewed, transformed by the renewing of our mind. That, that talks about in a couple of places the salvation of our souls. Not our spirit, our spirit's being redeemed. But we need to be transformed that our souls, our mind, our will, our emotions, our strength are changed and redeemed. And in fact, I'm convinced that when we know the Father and the closer we get to the Father, the more emotions we have, but they're different. They're the emotions of, of love, of joy. They're, they're His emotions that's given us because He retrains us in our thinking and our emotions, that we are no longer lived by our emotions because they have been trained and put in us by the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the world, and we need to retrain our thinking to understand who we are in Jesus Christ, that we may attain, remember in Philippians chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 3, only let us live up to what we have already attained, that our emotions come into alignment, our thinking come into alignment with the man that God created us to be, that Jesus redeemed us to be, and that the Holy Spirit is moulding us to become. See how the Trinity works? The Father created us to be that man. Jesus Christ redeemed us so we could become that man, and the Holy Spirit moulds us and shapes us and renews our mind, our will, our emotions, that we may Step into becoming that man and understand who we are in the eyes of the Father. I pray that your eyes, oh, I pray that your eyes will be enlightened 
that in order that you may know your hope, the hope to which he has called you, your identity. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints is the second one. You see, in Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and he was risen again and he was exalted far above everything else and he seated at the right hand of the Father, everything was given unto him. Everything else was put at his footstool and his inheritance, he gained everything. The word says that everything that was the Father's was given unto Jesus. And here it says that the inheritance, his inheritance, Jesus' inheritance is found where? In us. In us. We lack for nothing. And yet we live as paupers, don't we? We forget that, which is why our minds need to be renewed. Which is why we need to re-understand and be retrained in the ways of the kingdom, in the thinking of the kingdom. Which is why our eyes need to be on so singular in its focus. Matthew 6, it's on the kingdom of God and on the Father and knowing Him that nothing in this world distracts us because He has given us everything. I'm sorry for being so passionate about this. I don't know where that comes from. See, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one there. I know I touched that one last week, the last time I preached. The riches, He has given us everything. Everything, which is why that we can live to attain what we already have. And the more we know the Father, the more we understand that everything that is Christ's is ours because he has given it to us because he lives in us because I'm the body of Christ. His spirit in my spirit, I'm one with him. It says, uh, don't quote me, I'm not going to give you a reference because I can't remember right now. John 15 maybe, maybe. It says that, I am in Christ and Christ is in me and we are in the Father. I am one with God. And he's given everything to me. Because he has has desired, my identity is to live in this world with all of his resources because I am his son, I am his ambassador to stand against the kingdom of God that it cannot advance against me and when it does advance against me, I will stand because I have everything that is, is his in my life. And it cannot come through me because I am in Christ. And I live like Christ and just as he lived. In fact, it says here in John chapter 1, sorry, 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason Jesus Christ came into this earth was to destroy the devil's work work that we could enter into a relationship with him become the sons of God and know him and and be fundamentally transformed and be received by him but not opt out and choose now I just want to go to heaven that's another false lie we don't get saved just to go to heaven we get redeemed to become like him in this world that when we get to heaven the glorious future we get up there and he goes You looked like my son when you lived. That was amazing. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's a different attitude. That's what the hope is, that we stand against and as we live in this world, that we too live and exist to destroy, continue to destroy the works of the devil. How? It says that we've got the authority to speak life and death, that we may speak life, that we may proclaim all that Christ has done and see it come to fruition. We declare Jesus Christ because he is in us and the light, we are the light of the world. And the third one, 
And I'm pushing through that one quickly. Not as quickly as I thought I was going to, but I'm pushing through it quickly. And the third one, that as we know the Father more, that we understand the glorious hope. I'm trying to find this. Where is this? Uh, I pray also that your eyes may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This incomparably great power that is for us who believe. It is for all who believe. And what is that power? That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father... uh, right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come and placed all things under his feet. That is the power, the power of the Holy Spirit, which raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is for us and lives in us and exists for us. That power that raised him from the dead, I walk in because it lives in me and it's for me. Because we've been fundamentally transformed to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus as he walked in this world and he's given us his spirit, the power in which to do so. That no longer do we live by for self, we now live for him and he gives us the authority to do so. And it says further on, uh, chapter 2, Ephesians 2 verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And this is the same power. It is by grace that raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where, do, where are we seated? In Jesus Christ, who is seated in the seat of blessing far above everything else. That's our position. That's where we're found, in him. This is not my sermon, as you can tell. My notes are off. This is the word of God. This is what the Bible says. I am just reading the Bible. And it says this stuff, this magnificent, this glorious, this life-changing stuff, that if we can understand it and grasp it and get it into our hearts, will fundamentally change us in every conceivable way. This power that is for us, that we can be redeemed and live like Jesus lived. That's amazing. You see, I started out by saying that when Jesus Christ came and he died, when he entered into the world, he so humbled himself and he so knew who he was that he put aside the nature of God. He put it to one side. And he did not live like it. He lived fully as man. And that's important for us to realize. He lived as fully man. And then he said, come, follow me. If he hadn't put aside his God nature and he lived as God man, then we could not follow him. We couldn't. We couldn't do that because we're not God. So Jesus Christ came becoming nothing, put aside his God nature lived as man completely man and then he says now that you've been born again born without sin reborn into my image follow me that's cool isn't it follow me live like i live and then he says and the things that i do you will do too 
because you're in my image and you're following me and the spirit of God is in you. The spirit of power which raised me from the dead is in you. So the things that I do, you will do. And you may say, Grant, but that's not my experience. Psalm 138, God has exalted his word above everything else, even his name. And so if that doesn't line up with my experience, then I place... I want to be humble enough to place my experience under the word of God and say, God, what needs to change in me? What needs to change in me? Shape me and mould me. I want to know you so much more that as Christ Jesus lived, I live. I want to live like him because I want to honour your word because it's been exalted and I believe that your word is the word of God. It cannot be changed because if you change the word then you cannot be trusted and you refuse to do that because you're a trustworthy God and you've exalted your word. So I'm going to place my experiences, my emotions, my understanding below you and I'm going to read the word that you transform me. That I live as your word says. In Mark... Chapter 17. What's the time? Do I have time for one more before we go to communion? This is, this is amazing. Mark chapter 17. Jesus, Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, sorry, 16 verse 14. There is no Mark, uh, Mark 17, so don't go there. Mark chapter 16 verse 14. This is after Jesus Christ has been crucified and raises again. And it says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus comes to the eleven and he rebukes them because he didn't believe those who they were still mourning. But other people had come and said, Jesus lives and they're still mourning. And they're going, we looked for Jesus in the, where the dead are and he wasn't there because he's living and the eleven are still mourning. That sounds like Christians today, doesn't it? They're so wrapped up in their experiences. Some people are so wrapped up in the pressures of the world and they're mourning. And, and people are coming along going, Jesus is risen. They're going, yeah, but my life is tough. Yeah, but, but Jesus, the Messiah, he's risen. He's alive. He's not with the dead. Yeah, but, but my emotion. But Jesus is risen. Like oh, the joy and the fact that Jesus is risen. And sometimes we're still looking for him amongst the dead, aren't we? Ah, so Jesus rebukes them anyway. Sorry, that was not in... I don't know where that came from. And he said to them, go into all the world. So this is Jesus sending the 11. And he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. He says, anyone who believes. I am so sorry we have not got to communion yet before you have to leave. Very, very sorry. I cut out a song so that we could and I've got carried away. God bless you. He says, without any reservation, all who believe and be baptised will be saved. Everyone who believes and baptised will be saved. And then he says in verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Who will these signs accompany? Those who believe. He's not talking to the eleven. He's saying to the eleven, I send you and go and baptise those who believe. And those who believe, these signs will follow them. Like, there's no other qualifier. It just says, these are the signs that will follow the believers. 
who you who baptize, who you baptize. It says, and these are the signs that in my name they will drive out demons. This is the signs of the believers. And you go, but that's not my experience. Submit your experience under the word of God and come to the Father and say, Father, something's not right. Change me and transform me and renew me and allow me to know you more that the signs, these signs that follow believers will be evident in my life too because your word declares that these things will follow and be the signs of the believers. That they will drive out believers, demons. Why? Because there's a battle going on between two kingdoms. And the kingdom of darkness has no hope against the kingdom of life because they tremble at the name of Jesus Christ because he is supreme and exalted above all else and he lives in me and you. And in his name, we can drive out demons. And this is the signs of those who believe. And they will speak in new tongues. Oh, I'm sorry, that that opened a can of worms. In, In some churches of Christ which more are traditional speaking of tongues we don't talk about that but it says here in the word of God and they will speak new tongues in fact some people say that these signs stopped with the apostles when the apostles died these signs stopped show me that in scripture show me where that is in scripture never has that been stated in scripture Jesus says, come follow me, live as I lived. You'll do the same as what I did. In fact, you'll do even greater things because you'll have the spirit of power dwelling within you. And these will be the signs that will follow because they're not of this world. They're new creations in my kingdom and I've set them free. And they will not live by fear, but they will live by faith and by love. And so therefore the world cannot touch them. It's not talking about going out and deliberately picking up snakes and drinking poison to test God. It's if you're walking along and you get bitten and you're in faith in him, he cannot touch you. And if you drink something that that is tainted by accident, it doesn't matter because you're in faith in him and you will not live by fear or be determined by fear. can't touch you because you're in faith in Jesus Christ. And then it says, they will place hands on sick people and they will get well. You will place your hands on sick people and they will get healed. Is there any disqualifier in there? It says, my believers, those who believe in me, will do this. The only thing we need to do is believe and have faith. Submit ourselves under the word of God that we may know the Father more, that he may transform us and reveal to us who we are in him. He's amazing. He is amazing. And it says in Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 10, see, we did get there in the end. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What were the good works that God prepared for us in advance to do? The good works were to do the signs that follow the believers and live in love as Christ Jesus is love. To live, know that we're the sons and live and become love and serve and do the signs that will follow him. And that only comes by knowing the Father through Jesus Christ who laid down his life and had his body broken and shed his blood that we would be so redeemed and so set free and so new a new creation because he circumcised the old and the sinful away from us. He cut it out of us that we'd be born again and redeemed in Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray before I start on something else, please. Father, I just thank you. I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for Jesus Christ and his glory. I thank you for what he has achieved in us and through us. Father, I thank you that you've redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ and by his body we are healed and whole. By his blood we have been set free that we can know that we are the sons and daughters of the living God and that we become righteous in your sight and there is no barrier between you and I and I can come to you at any time and you receive me and you wrap your arms around me and you say you are my son and you are righteous and I've given you the authority and the dominion Father I thank you for Jesus I thank you for who I am in him and what he's achieved for my sake as we take part in communion Father may these truths be embedded in our life and may we know who we are in you and all that Christ has done for us that we may come to you to know you more You're amazing, Jesus. I love you. We love you. Thank you. And as we take these emblems, thank you that that you make us whole and healed. And we know that we are cleansed and pure in the blood of Jesus. Amen.